Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune today on the world's only rock and roll talk show. Jim and I are going to carve up some of the year's biggest musical turkeys. Plus, we'll review the new albums from Alicia Keys and The Hives, and I'll add a track to the Desert Island Jukebox. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news. That is Alicia Keys with her new single called No One. It's from her third studio record, As I Am. It's the biggest music news of the week, folks. In case you missed it, Alicia Keys is one of the biggest artists of the last six, seven years. She emerged in uh, 2001 with a record, Songs in A Minor, that was buoyed by a $20 million marketing campaign by one Clive Davis, the head of J Records. He wanted to get J Records off to a good start. Yeah. He had been at, Arrest, <laughs> he had been at, at Arista Records, got bumped out of, that, out of that job, started a new label. Alicia Keys was his new prime signing uh, in, in the long line of artists that he assigned, Janis Joplin, Whitney Houston, uh, Santana, Springsteen. Alicia Keys was the new star that he was going to introduce for the 21st century. That's the century. old school star-making machine at its most indulgent. Absolutely. And he got her on MTV, on BET, on the Oprah Winfrey Show. Even before that record came out, Alicia Keys was already a star. She was predestined to become one of the biggest selling artists of, of the new century. And indeed, Clive pulled it off. 19 million sales later from her two records, nine Grammy Awards later, Alicia Keys is now one of the big stars of our time. I've got to say, it's, it's not without uh, some merit. Uh, she's a classically trained pianist. She went to music school in New York City, was writing songs by the time she was 14, was signed to this record deal by the time she was in college, and dropped out of college to become a recording artist. She's got quite a pedigree as a musician, as a songwriter, and uh, as a singer. She's now on her third record. There is very little doubt that this is going to debut at number one in the country and will go on to millions of sales in the next year or two behind the massive marketing campaign that is no doubt going to accompany it. So album number three, As I Am, it's out now. Jim and I are going to discuss whether it's all that in a minute, but let's hear a song from it. It's called Teenage Love Affair from Alicia Keys on Sound Opinions. Can't wait to get
Teenage Love Affair from Alicia Keys' third album, As I Am. Greg, I'm going to start by telling you all the things I don't like about Alicia Keys. <laughs> One is that, the, the you know, to me, the previous two albums really gave the overall impression of being uh, marketing campaigns more than they were collections of music. You take a little bit of refried soul, you take some polished modern R&B, you put a lot of piano pop in there. You know, a lot of these songs, if you're stripped away, the vocals could be Billy Joel in some ways. <laughs> and you, you give just a little hint of hip-hop for some street cred, yeah. right? You put this beautiful, model-beautiful woman on top of it all, and you send her out there. You know, her concerts have always been jarring. You know, she, she doesn't really know who she is. On album, especially in the lyrics, she really doesn't know who she is. There's two types of songs on this record, the Sister Power anthems mm. and the Woe Is Me love ballads. It's kind of hard to accept woe is me from a woman who's on top of the world and it's a little hard to accept sister power from her as well that song superwoman oh my god you know she's singing about i put on a vest with an s on my chest i'm superwoman and then the backing vocals go yes she is it's like oh man however that having been said i really dislike the first two albums and i like this one i don't know why i like this one i don't think she wore me down i even like the song she does with that light rock maestro john mayer lesson learned I like the Linda Perry songs. These are Jim Steinman meatloaf ballads blown oh, up and performed by... You know, I'm seeing, serious. Like, lighters in the air, they are so weird. It's Broadway's version of Psychedelia performed by Alicia Keys. It's just absolutely insane. I'm talking about that thing about love, and she looks good to me. It's it, it's so far over the top, it has to be camp. So, so I'm actually digging this record. You know, I want to like her a lot more. I've, I've really tried hard to like this artist because I recognize the fact that she's not a wind-up toy like a lot of the other manufactured pop divas have been over the last decade. She's got real talent. There's no doubt about it. She can sing. She can sure play that piano. Uh, she seems to be a decent songwriter. As you hinted at, she's got nothing to say, though. Lyrically, just a string of cliches in just about every song she's ever written. There's never a sense of digging yeah. beyond the surface. And, uh, you know, at the same time, she's got a way with hooks, but they're pretty facile. I don't feel a sense of an artist here that is pushing any kind of envelope in any way. All right, you're not going to say anything in your songs. At least do something sonically that's interesting. But as you said, she doesn't know who she really is. She's straddling this hip-hop production with this guy, Carrie Crucial Brothers, who she's been working with since album one. She brought in Linda Perry for the pop stuff. Never the twain shall meet. There's this kind of weird balancing act going on. Yeah. And she's got John Mayer. I don't know how this guy <laughs> still gets work. I mean, why do these R&B, these really hip R&B and hip-hop people want to work with John Mayer? But I like that song. You don't <laughs> like that song? It's, I think it's kind of a catchy song. There are two songs on this record that I think are, are worth Alicia Keys, and they're basically produced by, by an, a relative unknown, Reckless Love and Teenage Love Affair. Those are the two songs where there's sort of a feel. She's got a little bit of that old-school soul feel. You can feel these tracks coming from some early 70s pop AM radio production, but at the same time, she's updated them for 2007. There's a joy in her singing there that I don't hear on these other songs. Elsewhere, she just seems to be trying way too hard to prove something to somebody. I'm not sure what it is. 
an artist who has nothing to say, who hasn't really defined what she wants to be, has these producers who are doing her no favors. You know, you like the cheese ball stuff? I'm going, I did. come I did. on. I, against my better judgment. I mean, it's like sitting down and eating an entire one-pound bag of M&Ms. You know, I mean, she, you know it's not good for you, but still. She keeps talking about Chopin and Stevie Wonder and Duke Ellington as no, being no, no. influences. The best thing is the I don't hear in, any of those people uh, The in line here. in her bio where she said she set out on this record to do Janis Joplin meets Aretha Franklin. Yeah, yeah. I don't think she's ever heard of either of them. If she has, there's no evidence of it on this record. <laughs> but still at all, I'm saying it's a buy it. I I like the cheese. What I want to hear is sit this girl down at the piano, make that voice and her piano the center of every one of these songs, and you may have something there, but surrounding her with all this production no, goo no. You is put, her, the wrong put her with thing. Jim Steinman and Meatloaf. <laughs> make a Meatloaf record. Well, I think we're both saying the same thing, but in different ways. We yeah, don't I'm like this record that much. It. You're going to buy this record. I'm buying this record. You're going to buy this cheese I would ball buy, record. I'd buy this record for my mom for Christmas. I say you burn two songs on it Reckless Love and Teenage Love Affair, the song we just played, and that's it. Every year around Thanksgiving, we like to do our annual turkey shoot, taking a look at albums that we really had high hopes for, but which let us down in a big way. We hated to say it. We're going out there with the double barrel shotgun and blowing <laughs> away the turkey, even though it kills us to do it. And we go back and forth on these, talk about records that let us down. Plus, we've got some listeners who are going to chime in with their turkeys as well. Again, it's not so much to shoot the fish in the barrel, to use another analogy. It's about these records. We were anticipating greatness from this music. We right. thought this is going to be one of the most anticipated records of the year. It's going to live up to its expectations. When you put it on, you go, oh. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no point <laughs> in talking about Britney Spears again because yes. we didn't expect anything. But these are records we had high hopes for. And uh, I believe you have the first turkey. All right, Jim. I'm going to put one out of its misery right away here. And you have mocked me for many years about my <laughs> love of this producer, uh, Timbaland. I, I think yes. he's, he's a genius. He's probably one of the finest producers of the last 10 years. His work with Missy Elliott in the late 90s set a new standard for bringing the avant-garde into the, into the pop music realm. And I think ever since, everybody's been sort of trailing behind trying to catch up with what Timbaland I'll, was doing. I'll take his work with JT, man. He brought sexy back. I'm all, all over both uh, his work with Justin Timberlake and uh, Nelly Furtado. He had a great 2006 but 2007 was not so good. <laughs> Timbaland, in addition to his production work, puts out solo records occasionally, and his fifth studio album, Timbaland Presents Shock Value, was designed to put him into that superstar class of Dr. Dre and Kanye West, of producers who have transitioned over into being major artists in their own right. Well, let me tell you, this record fell flat, Jim, for me in so many ways, uh, not least of which was the guest's shots on this record. He worked with the usual suspects. The, uh, Justin Timberlake was on the record. Nelly Furtado was on the record. Missy Elliott was on the record. He had the Hives on the record, whose yeah. album we're going to review later on in the show. And he had Elton John on the record. None of those collaborations on this record equaled what he had done with those artists separately. Here's a great example of it. The Elton John track is just... Timbaland thinks he's a rapper. Listen to this track and tell me if this guy's a rapper. It sounds like he's just shouting over it, what the Elton John is doing, sort of egging him on, and what am I doing here exactly? He doesn't really know. Elton John, I'm not sure, really knows either. It's a track called Two Man Show. Elton John and Timbaland shouting something in the background <laughs> on Sound Opinions. Don't you agree? Don't it sound good to you? Don't you agree? This one's in the right here. Yeah, I like that. Why? Give me that, give me that. I like that. Come on, y'all. Take me to the high levels. Go higher than that, baby. Ah, yeah. 
You are absolutely right, Greg. That is a turkey indeed, Timbaland. I got to say, as I was going through the year's reviews, I was having a hard time narrowing down my list of turkeys. Um, The Eagles, we just reviewed them last week, so no reason to go back. But they kept us waiting 29 years for that stinker, right? And uh, Jill Scott and T.I. both put out albums in in the hip-hop realm and in the R&B realm that let us both down. But I had to go with three albums that actually... I'm feeling in a contentious mood. I've not yet had my turkey. I'm not yet tripping on the tryptophan. These are all records you liked yeah. that I hated. Okay, okay. I, so I can't I, wait to hear this. Yeah, no, these are all records about which you are extremely wrong. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to start with the Stooges. Talking about keeping us waiting several decades to put out a stinker of an album. I mean, the Stooges hands down, are one of the greatest bands in rock history. One of the things that made them great was that incredible Ashton Brothers rhythm section. The rhythms of the Stooges are not in evidence here on the weirdness. I love the guitar. You know, it's a great sound. Iggy Pop has never sung better. And yet, it's just lousy. It's bad. The lyrics that used to be stupid in a very good way, S-T-O-O-P-I-D, are now stupid in a bad way and the offensive to boot, okay? I'm married to a Mexican woman. This song, Mexican Guy, it's just wrong musically, it's wrong lyrically, it's wrong every which way, (laughs) and it shouldn't be called the Stooges. The Stooges Mexican guy, uh, I believe it was a buy it from you? No, no, it was a burn it. And I, my biggest problem was Iggy's lyrics. I mean, you liked Iggy's lyrics on this record. I think, no, I hated I think them. They I they were stupid bad. What That's was wrong with the groove on that song, though? They used to be good. No fun, my babe, no fun is yeah. brilliant. Yeah, but the groove is great on that song. So no, you're, it's you're, not. You're it's not. It's not the great Stooges groove. It's leaden. It's uh, plodding. I don't know about it's not, that. Go back and listen to 1969. It's not 1969. Way more syncopation on there than uh, a corn record. Oh, you're 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 really <laughs> stupid. Actually, getting hit by a train is better than yeah. falling out of an airplane. Yeah, as I said, it was a burn it for me. I did not endorse <laughs> that record. Any uh, Stooges fan is going to be let down by that record. There's uh, no doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's revisionist history. I'm going back to the tapes. Burn it. It was a burn it, baby. When we come back on Sound Opinions, we'll have more of our picks for the year's biggest turkeys, and we'll hear some of the listeners as well. Then we'll review the new album by The Hives. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We are in the midst of our annual Thanksgiving turkey shoot, where we're talking about some of the albums this year that really let us down, that turned out to be big stinkers when we'd had high hopes for them. Greg, it is your turn. Jim, uh, this is a record that you inexplicably loved and that I just found incredibly wanting. It's uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Queen, a record that uh, is the latest project from Blur's Damon Albarn, for which I had high hopes. He was collaborating not only with Paul Simonon from The Clash and Simon Tong from The Verve, Nigerian drummer Tony Allen on drums, the great drummer with Fela Kuti uh, on this record, but he was collaborating with Danger Mouse, who has done some of my favorite projects of recent years, the producer for The Gorillas, the collaborator in Gnarls Barkley, not to mention the Grey album, which, yeah. where he fused uh, Jay-Z and the White album from The Beatles. Danger Mouse has been on a roll. I mean, I figured this cannot lose. This cannot possibly be a stinker. This could be one of the best albums of the year. As it turns out, I think it is one of the great wasted opportunities of the year. We wait 10 songs before we hear the genius of Tony Allen. Tony Allen's wasted on this record. Here's a man who invented Afro-funk with Fela in the 70s and 80s, one of the great drummers of all time. If he had been the center of this record with Simonon on bass, I could have heard a sequel to The Clash's Sandinista, this sort of globe-trotting world music record that would have blown minds for a new generation in terms of how music can sound, what it can do, where it can venture. Instead, we get basically a moody, downcast record. Damon's really upset with the fact that there's a lot of war going on right now, and he made this very downcast, moody record, and that's fine for a song or two, but we get an entire album of this, and I was very, very disappointed. You're making the mistake of reviewing what you think this band should have been yeah. instead of what it actually gave us. Now, if it came in a plain brown wrapper yeah. and it didn't have the super group credential, it's a fine, creepy trip-hop record. Oh my and God. you're just you're just thinking these names are associated with it. It has to be this. And it's disappointed you by being that. No, I, I would have I would have fallen asleep no matter who made this record. That's the ah, thing. That's You've true. got all this talent. And what makes it so disappointing is that there is this talent. And I've heard all of these musicians doing much better work. Here's the only track on the record. It's called Three Changes, where you you can actually hear Tony Allen finally wake up and Damon Albarn snapped his fingers and said, Tony, let's hear some of that great drumming. Finally, you can hear Tony Allen on this track. It's on Sound Opinions. Changes from The Good, The Bad, and The Queen, one of my turkeys of the year. Jim, what do you got next? I got another one I think you liked, Mr. Cott. It's the album by Feist, The Reminder. Who is Feist? Listen, people, you've heard her. She's been shoved down your throat relentlessly by a corporate MP3 player commercial that just, I mean, it airs every 10 seconds on some channel or other. Boy, am I sick of her. She is going for this sort of Nina Simone kind of thing, singing Burt Bacharach songs in a smoky cabaret. She's trying to be sexy and all breathy like that. I just hate this record. <laughs> I, I, I don't have anything to say other than, boy, is this a turkey. One, two, three, four, tell me that you love me more. Sleepless, long nights, as with my youth was for. Those teenage hopes who have tears in their eyes 
six, nine, and ten. Money can't buy you back the love that you had then. Uh, Feist, one, two, three, four. That is the song you never need to hear again because you've heard it every ten seconds on uh, TV for the last couple of uh, months. It's just, it, that's, you know, it's ubiquitous, that, that commercial. It is, Jim, and uh, it's turning her into a star. So there's a lot of people who disagree with what you say. I, I, I recall that you made a big deal out of the fact that this record was recorded in her pajamas. Talk about a sleepy record. It would have uh, been better if she went to a studio. <laughs> you are absolutely right, Jim. Let's go to some callers before we start shooting some more turkeys. They've got some turkeys that they want to carve up as well. Brendan, welcome to Sound Opinions. Thanks for having me, fellas. What's your turkey, Brendan? My turkey is Kanye West's graduation. Not that it's the worst record of the year, but it's the one that disappointed me the most. Now, the guy's mom just died. I You're going to lump on him? I feel kind of bad trash in his record this week. <laughs> but, you know, I loved his first two records, but with graduation, I feel like it's Puff Daddy rapping over the Pet Shop Boys. Wow. Wow. His, his flow just isn't actually. there this time. It's usually unique. This time it kind of sounds like it's just, it's not very good, and Can't Tell Me Nothing is the best example of that. That's an interesting song. That's where he's talking about his own image in the public and his swelled head and how he fights against his own worst impulses. Aha! See, I think I think that uh, it's really more about the swelling of his head. I think he's trying <laughs> to inflate it a little bit more. And plus, the the, the flow that he's got when he's like, "Can't tell me nothing." I, I really can't get over that. It's a shame because he got all the hype this year for a couple of decent singles and a relatively underwhelming record when you got records like LP and Rhymefest and East Rock and KRS-One, great hip-hop records. But Kanye, yeah, I, I think he set the bar a little too high with his first two records. And now that he, I think he put out something that was a little, it's experimental, but it's a little too pedestrian in hip-hop. As a pop record, I think it works hip-hop record, I think we can expect a little bit more from great artists. Well, you know, one man's turkey is another man's tofu. Greg and I both (laughs) said, let's buy it, but uh, we respect your opinion, Brendan. Thank you for sharing it. Thank you, fellas. Uh, Let's talk to John now from Los Angeles. John, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hi, how are you guys? Good. Have you got a turkey that you would like to slay? Interpol, which is a band, admittedly, I have to say this, there's so many terrible records out there. This is more about the the ones you love hurting you the most. <laughs> yes, well, exactly. It's, yeah, it's true. And Interpol is a band that critics love to slather praise on. And I, you know, I, I'll tell you that I still dig out their past two records before our love to admire and listen to them. And this one doesn't meet that test. And the question that was posed to me about this record was that is it possible for a band to achieve dinosaur status even before reaching that pantheon of only <laughs> bands that matter? Um, they're ticketed for that kind of fame. Everything I read about them is that these guys are godlike, but this record stinks to Valhalla. Now, now, what exactly is it that made this record lousier than the predecessors? Because to me, I've never been able to get past their, like, you know, what Lenny Kravitz does to Hendrix. To me, Interpol's been doing for, for Joy Division from the beginning of their career, and it was just like such a blatant carbon copy, I could never get into them. Well, the thing about it for me that that works for this band is the guitar, and they got lazy with this record. They've got a distinctive sound. And as a Joy Division fan, I probably should hate this band, but I don't. It works for me because their guitars transport that you know, almost carbon copy vocal style to a place that, although when, they, when I first heard them, they were the only band doing it, now there's, you know... Yeah, there's a lot of bands that are copying. Scores of bands doing this thing. But this record sounds uh, anonymous and lazy and pedestrian, and it, there's no way that these guys should put out a record that sounds like this. All right. Well, what's an example of a track that illustrates what's wrong with uh, Interpol in 2007? There's a couple of songs on it. That's the last track on the record, and I can't tell you the name of it. All they needed was a, a giant gong behind the drummer and basically <laughs> fire the lead singer and replace him with Sammy Hagar. Oh, my God. It's such an arena rock move that basically that's the, the song, the last song on the record is that put it back in the rack for me. What do the waves have to say now? What do the waves have to say now? 
Well, thank you, John. Uh, that's a turkey I think that we both agree uh, on, don't, don't we? Yeah, yeah I, I would agree that this is uh, definitely the least interesting of the three Interpol records. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on Sound Opinions, John. Thanks. I love you guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks to our listeners for giving their picks for Turkeys of the Year. Greg, I believe you have one more up? I do indeed, Jim. There's plenty to choose from, but uh, this is one I could not uh, let pass. I was really looking forward to the fourth Rilo Kylie record, Under Mm. the Blacklight, in particular because Jenny Lewis was a guest on the show, the lead singer in Rilo Kylie, when she put out her solo record in 2006, and one of the very best records of that year, Rabbit Fur Coat. I think she really took a leap as a songwriter on that record. Beautiful sounding record, beautifully sung record. The lyricism was deep and personal in a way that I had not heard from Jenny Lewis before. I figured when she goes back with her band, Rilo Kylie, and, and starts collaborating with uh, Blake Sennett again, we were going to hear a real step up here, the major label debut by this by this band, and I thought it was going to be a terrific record. Well, it was a huge letdown. I think it's the worst Rilo Kylie record by a large margin, and, and the main reason is they slicked it up. They, yeah. they, they went in a completely different direction. Here's a songwriter who is known for her personal lyrics. Now she's made this record about L.A. decadence, one of the oldest subjects on the planet. I mean, the Eagles got there in the 70s. The Red Hot Chili Peppers made Californication in the 90s. It's a tired subject matter. No new perspective on it. Really disappointing to hear her sort of glossing over these subjects that have been worn out in the past. And and for a sound that sounded, it's kind of like a disco Rilo Kiley record. Nothing wrong with disco, nothing wrong with Rilo Kiley. But when you put those two things together, (laughs) there's something wrong. And it just... Not chocolate and peanut butter. It did not sound very well. There's one... One song on this record, Jim, that I would like to highlight, however, if the record had gone more in this direction, it could have been a masterpiece. And it is sort of their homage to Fleetwood Mac. And it is not a Jenny Lewis song. It was written by Blake Sennett, her collaborator on the record, who really isn't heard very widely on this record. He didn't write many songs. But this is one of the very best songs on this record and one of the very best songs of the year. It's called Dream World, and it is the one exception on what is otherwise a really lousy record. by Rilo Kiley, one of Greg's turkeys of the year. Greg, I don't even like that song. You like that song, but boy, it's <laughs> overproduced, and congas just shouldn't be that high up in the mix ever on a Couldn't rock record. Just, I think that could have been a great fit on Rumors. I can hear Lindsey Buckingham That's singing why I don't that like song it. to Stevie uh, Nicks. You we'll know? have to have our Rumors fight <laughs> another day. I mean, one of the most overrated albums of all time, but that's for another day. My final turkey of the year is yet another album that you actually defended, if not downright liked, Volta, the latest from Bjork. I love Bjork. What a life force. You know, she just is this explosion of energy, this wiggy, eccentric. There is no one in the world like Bjork. And this is the most joyless, least fun album she has ever made. Once again, we can blame Timbaland for some of this because he (laughs) produced a couple of tracks, including the one I'm going to play in a second, Earth Intruders. But she's in this computer kind of mode where, uh, you know, it's all blips and burbles and bleeps. There, there, There are few melodies on this record, 
no hooks whatsoever. She doesn't sound like herself at all, hardly ever. I hated this. And and it reeks of this artiness. I mean, this is like some horrible modern art exhibition that you just have to endure when you're a school kid. Or or some awful seven-hour foreign film with subtitles that's like bad focus, right? I mean, it's just, it, it's a chore. There's nothing good about this record. Intruders by Bjork from Volta. I believe that was another Buy It record for you, wasn't it? I like that record a lot. I don't know what you had wrong with Earth Intruders. Just to clarify, I did not like the Stooges record or the Feist record, but I did like the Bjork record a lot. And uh, I'm really surprised that you found that track so uninviting. I did, and that was the best track on the album. I should have played one of the real stinkers, like the one where she defends the terrorists. Because <laughs> that's really bad. So to go back and find the original reviews of all of these records, go to the archive at soundopinions.org. And coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to review the new album from The Hives, and later on, Jim DeRogatis is going to have a Desert Island jukebox track. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. is The Hives, a song called Tick, Tick, Boom, from their fourth album, the Black and White album. Who are The Hives? A Swedish garage rock band that is part, Greg, it's hard to keep count, what, you know, the fourth or fifth big garage rock revival since the originators of the mid-60s. We're talking about uh, the Nuggets compilation, really defines that sound. Bands in Nowheresville, America, go to their garage, 
wishing they were the Beatles, but having no talent and producing some of the greatest rock and roll of all time. Lester Baggs called them the proto-punk groups. Essentially, you just have, you know, he called them zit farmers famously (laughs) when he was talking about the count five of psychotic reaction. Great, great rock and roll singles that are just explosions of energy. That sound has come back any number of times. In the uh, just post-punk days in New York, you had the Flesh Tones doing it. Later, there was a European revival with a lot of great bands. Now, the uh, Swedes in the hives have been doing it for some time. Trying to break through in America, there were some bad signs for this record. For one thing, they just did an arena tour across the country opening for Maroon 5, those light rockers. That's a bad – clearly the record company says, we're going to break you guys in America. You're going to play with Maroon 5, right? There was nothing like watching the Maroon 5 audience look at the hives like going, wow. They they couldn't process it. These guys on stage from Sweden in (laughs) matching black and white suits, you know, playing garage rock. And then there's that commercial for a sneaker that's been all over. It's just like – oh, man, here's the hives are going to sell out. I don't want to tip my hand as to the review portion, but they did something really different with this record. They went to some big-name producers, including Pharrell Williams of the Neptunes, probably one of the powerhouse R&B pop producers today. He's worked with Britney Spears, for God's sake, right? So what came out of it? Let's play a track from the Black and White album by the Hives. This is called, this is one of the Pharrell tracks. It's called T-H-E-H-I-V-E-S. Welcome. Change of pace for The Hives. It's a track called The Hives from the Black and White album, their fourth record. Interesting record for The the Hives. Nothing in their back catalog sounds anything like this. Uh, This is a band that specializes in, as you said, Jim, two-minute blasts of garage rock revivalism from the 60s. They're bringing that sound back. They're doing it with style, panache, cockiness, swagger, humor. I yeah. think is a, is a key element in, in what the Hives do. Well, they claim that this mysterious, unnamed <laughs> partner in the band writes all their songs, and the lead singer calls him, himself Howlin' Pele yeah. Alchemist. Yes, they have a, uh, a ghost songwriter named Randy Fitzsimmons. I think it's their response, their very clever response to the Rolling Stones' Nanker Felge. Who was, yeah. who was Nanker Felge? Well, that was a group pseudonym. Whenever they wrote a track together, that's what they would call it, call the songwriting credit. Randy Fitzsimmons, does he or doesn't exist? Who knows? But the point is that the, uh, the Hives are having a lot of fun with the sounds of, of that era and bringing it into the 21st century. On this record, as you can hear, a soul influence that hadn't been there before. Uh, it's slowing the tempos down, stretching out the tracks. This is a 47-minute Hives record. Jim, that's an eternity for this band. The whole back catalog was about that long. (laughs) Exactly. Their previous four albums are probably like 47 minutes. So, you know, it takes some getting used to. For the hardcore Hives fans, this is a, a, a change of pace. And I have to say that it's a little flabby at the end in terms of the the length of this record. I would have liked to have seen this record paired to maybe 10 songs instead of 14. 
That said, I like some of the experimentation that's going on here. I think the Pharrell Williams tracks are really well done and kind of branching out into soul. They've got this kind of creepy Joe Meek style keyboard track in the middle of the record, yeah, just yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. this interlude. So they're they're experimenting with some different things, but they're, they're still keeping that Hive's sense of humor intact. And there's still four or five of those just slam-your-face-in garage rock tracks on this record. As I said, if this record had been a little shorter, it would have been a little cooler. But I like the fact that at the end of the record, they're talking about some stuff for once. Instead of just talking about how great the hives are, they're basically saying, get off your butt and do something. Oh, I love this record. I think this is a great record. At one point, uh, Howlin' Pele says, they say the definition of madness is doing the same thing yeah. and expecting a different result. Now, let's face it. Like punk rock of the Ramones variety, garage rock is not a sound that has many, many variables. You know, It's one thing, and there's not much you can do with it. Which is ironic, because if you go back and listen to Nuggets, in addition to wanting to be the Beatles, all these American zit farmers were trying to capture Stax Volt and Motown, except they had no groove, right? The Hives have a groove! A bunch of Swedish guys who actually can groove and, and deliver for Pharrell Williams <laughs> and bring in the black R&B modern soul influence, uh, they do it really credibly. I think this is the best merger of a sound that many critics say is one-dimensional this year alongside Fallout Boy's Infinity on High. A really interesting comparison because there are these <laughs> pop punks that started working with an R&B producer and tried to bring in uh, a little bit of soul into a supposedly one-dimensional sound. I think the Hives have done the same thing. That's not a uh, coincidence that this album is called the Black and White album. I, I-, I think it's brilliant. I say it's a buy it. Well, I- I- other than the comparison with uh, the Fall Out Boy <laughs> I knew you'd choke on that one. I'm choking on that one. But I think this is, a, uh, this is a good record, too. And even though there's a couple of tracks on here that I could live without, I think overall this is a, a terrific uh, step forward for this band that totally unexpected. So it's a buy it for me as well. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. As often as possible, one of us likes to take a trip to the desert island and drop a quarter in the desert island jukebox, and this week it's Jim DeRigatis' turn. Thank you, Greg. I am going to play uh, what is simply one of the greatest songs of all time. I don't even have to say anything else, <laughs> but I will. I'll fill you I in. I can't wait to hear it. In 1991, I think there were two albums that redefined rock and roll for a new generation. You know, there was this popular notion that everything that could be done with guitar, bass, and drums had been done. There was nothing that could be done that was new. Then along comes Nirvana's Nevermind. There was a second album released the same year by a band from England called My Bloody Valentine. It was called Loveless. And I think, as Brian Eno famously said of Velvet Underground, didn't sell a lot of records, but everybody who bought one went out and started a band. The influence of this record is is heard far and wide, you know, from groups like Smashing Pumpkins, who are really well-known, to weird groups you'd never think, like Fish, covered this entire album once. You know, mm-hmm. this is an album that has influenced many, many people because of its total uniqueness. I mean, nothing sounds like My Bloody Valentine. Who were they? Kevin Shields was a guy who was born in Queens, New York. His dad worked for a uh, grocery store chain and was transferred to Dublin. In the mid-80s, he starts My Bloody Valentine as essentially a goth band. Interesting, but by no means revelatory. That changes in 88 when they sign to Creation Records and, you know, influenced by the Jesus and Mary chain and what was soon to be called the shoegazer movement, start going in a much more psychedelic direction. Loveless has a lot of influences. One of them was the drug Ecstasy. Shields told me he'd been taking a lot of it. As a result, a lot of people who've done that drug and danced all night at raves talk about the way everything starts to sound tinny and springy and as if it's vibrating. And that is the, the sound of Loveless in a lot of ways. Another thing that he told me he was trying to do is, have you ever been downtown at like 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning when you have these buildings that are that are full of people in life all the other times, but you're walking in an empty ghost town? He wanted to make the oral equivalent of that. So you get this incredibly trippy, weird, disorienting sound with these breathy female vocals. He would intentionally record all night. It took, it has to be said, three and a half years to make this album and cost half a million dollars. It nearly bankrupted Creation Records. The (laughs) only thing that saved Alan McGee was that then this other band started selling some records. They were called Oasis. Mm -hmm. They bailed him out. He was going to be bankrupt and destitute. And you know what? I interviewed him as well. He said, 
it was worth it. It was <laughs> this is yeah, one of the best records ever. Only Shallow by My Bloody Valentine. Only Shallow by My Bloody Valentine. It just doesn't get any better than that. Why am I playing it this week? My Bloody Valentine put this record out, got all this critical praise, didn't sell anything, and then disappeared. They have not been heard of since 1991. Yeah. They've done nothing. Every year, Kevin Shields gives an interview to some obscure fanzine and says, you know, I'm working on a record, and then it doesn't come. Apparently, the record is now finished and may be out before the end of the year. You know, and I'm really shocked at you that you did not take the opportunity to make yet another Brian Eno reference because Brian Eno loved this record that you're talking about. I was biting about. my tongue. He called it the vaguest piece of pop music ever made. I made that is a compliment. A huge compliment. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, right? The only the only thing that can possibly compete with a My Bloody Valentine reunion is next week's show, Jim. Uh, one of our favorite shows. To oh, do. Yes! Buried treasures. These are the records that have floated under the mainstream radar for the last few months, but you need to hear them, and we're going to play them for you next week. As always, Sound Opinions was produced by the ace team of Robin Lynn and Jason Saldana with Todd Bachman staying home with his new baby boy. Good for you, Todd, but we miss you. Uh, we got some interning help from Dave Mahler, our loyal intern, and as always, our fearless leader, our executive producer, a man with whom we can always talk turkey, was Tori <laughs> Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic, so give us a call on our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. New messages. Hey guys, this is Paul from uh, Chicago. Just want to thank you for the show on uh, Joy Division. Uh, it was a huge, huge influence for me in my life. When I was 10, I moved to uh, Europe. Didn't know anybody uh, with my parents. I was there and a kid next door didn't speak a lick, lick of English, and uh, I certainly didn't speak his language. And uh, well, somehow he had a Joy Division tape, and uh, we would just sit around and listen to it together. <laughs> so uh, it was a big influence in my life and uh, definitely shaped my taste in music going forth from then on. Thanks, guys.
my name is Ed. I'm calling from Dublin in Ireland, um, and I downloaded your podcast last night um, because um, I'd been to see the film Control, all about um, Ian Curtis from Joy Division. So I was trawling around on the internet looking for a podcast, and what did I find? And I just wanted to say thanks because, um, you know, not only did I get a good insight into the film, I also got to find, find out about Café de Cuba and um, the Red Walls, and um, I'm currently locked outside of my house and it's freezing cold, but when I get inside, I'm going to download all of those albums, um, probably illegally. Um, but anyway, thanks, guys. Hi, my name is Kurt. I'm calling from Chicago. Just listened to uh, the uh, the beautiful review of the Eagles album. Uh, beautiful in the sense that I wholeheartedly agree with it. You know, I loved Hotel California when I was 12. of it because of uh, the Eagles sort of innocuous lyrics as you mentioned Don Henley's lyrics are just totally insipid most of the time and shallow as all get out and I think the craftsmanship that you mentioned in terms of their music making their songwriting actually detracts from any ability to branch out and uh, create original music Every song sounds the same to me, with the exception of Hotel California, which is this really creepy song about the decadence of the California society at the time or whatever. Yeah, I just, I, I love that you guys are out there doing this, and I really appreciate um, that you completely lambasted the Eagles because I feel like there's not enough of that. Too many people love the Eagles, and I just don't know why. Okay, thank you so much. Bye. No more messages. To give us your opinion on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, one 888 859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.